Before we start the show, we'd love to hear more from you, our listeners, whether that's a rating or a review on Apple Music, a tweet, or even dropping us an email at unedited at edited.com. It'd be great to know what you've enjoyed and what you would like to see more of. So make sure you slide into our DMs with any feedback. Welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Brought to you by myself, Vicky Giles, and the very lovely Grace Hill. Thank you, Vicky. From fashion, beauty and homeware, Vicky and I will cover industry topics and shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. Hello, Grace. Hi, Vicky, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Today is my last podcast for a little <gasps> for a little while, Grace. No! Yeah, I'm off to bring you life into the world, or rather just sit on a sofa and watch Netflix for two weeks before I bring you life into the world. Incredible. Um, and yeah, I'll be handing over the reins to the absolutely wonderful Diana Bang, who's our regional account director here at Edited. But right now, I'm very excited to talk about who is on Unedited this week, Grace. Our guest today is Akash Mehta. He's a British entrepreneur and influencer. Akash graduated from Imperial College London in engineering and previously worked at Burberry, Estee Lauder Companies and Dior. So currently, Akash is the co-founder of Fable and & Main and the founder of his own conscious digital agency, Akash Agency. So recently, Akash was placed on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, no less, in media and marketing and has been sharing his marketing expertise at some of the largest conferences and universities around the world, including a TEDx talk, which is very exciting, with over 300,000 followers on at Meta underscore A, Akash is now focusing in using his voice for good as a global guardian for UNICEF and a co-founder of the Fable Fund. Welcome, Akash. We're so excited to have you on today. Thank you so much. How are you? You've not been busy then. No, uh, (laughs) just a little bit dabbling in different things. Able to squeeze us in your schedule. (laughs) Always, absolutely. So we'd absolutely love to hear a little bit more about Akash Agency and what exactly is a conscious digital agency? Yeah, so um, that's a very good question. Something that I'm also still defining as I as I'm building this agency. Uh, Akash Agency, just a little background. It stemmed from when I wanted to kind of jump shift from the corporate world. A lot of my corporate contacts, my old CEO of Dior, etc., asked me. Uh, kindly if I could continue consulting for them in the digital space because I think you know it's always evolving and although my heart was you know really bound to like really focus on my new my new beauty brand Fable and Main I also thought yeah there's you know digital is something that I'm it's my kind of bread and butter Mm -hmm. and I'm always keen to learn more about it so I thought you know what like a lot of companies today do need some support in digital marketing especially as it's changing so quickly with influencers uh kind of being a big question of today. So I wanted to create a ag- digital agency that wasn't bounded by numbers. I wasn't about a hard sell. It was really to work consciously with the client and wouldn't kind of be based around a number, but more what they need. So I could work with any budget pot, any size business from yeah. a startup to a big company and really work alongside them as sort of a right like a right hand to them, like an extension of their company yeah. and operate in this way. And I felt that was more sustainable than sort of working as a standalone digital agency that kind of just sells a, you know, 
off a book like a here is my services here's yeah. my price yeah and that's what really sets you sets their cash agencies apart from from, so. from ag- other agencies out there because yeah. we're obviously aware there's been like a huge surge of like influencer focused agencies maybe mm-hmm. uh, recently and is that what you think sets you out from from other definitely from I, I think kind of I work on kind of the next the future of like digital like what's what yeah. your brand should be looking at going forward as a more sustainable approach as opposed to just copying pasting things in the past yeah. uh, but also I don't look for clients I think clients find me so it's more of a conscious way of like working mm-hmm. yeah I'm not a, a really like a trading agency I'm more of a I will help brands that need help if that makes sense does that make it a bit more of a passion project it's a pa- it basically is a passion project not yeah. saying agency should be the right word but I think it's just easier to digest for most companies yeah. like I have an agency but uh, yeah it's a pa- it's really just a a form of my consulting slash helping clients I believe in and I have an affiliation with. I wouldn't kind of work with a company that I don't believe in their core values or I don't feel are consciously minded as well. So I think conscious comes into two forms. One is the way we do the digital work with the client, Mm -hmm. but also um, the brand itself or the client itself being a consciously minded. There has to be like a a a match-up of minds and synergy between you both. Exactly. Amazing. So I guess getting straight into it, which we're really exciting to get your perspective as you are looking at the future and kind of what are those key foundations to a successful influencer strategy? So I think the, the most successful influencer campaigns today, and successful being a very vague term because it yeah. can also vary dependent on the business, yeah. it would really be to understand initially what were your objectives. So I think that's a mistake today. A lot of mm-hmm. brands go into thinking of it as like, oh, well, we have to do certain marketing campaigns, whether it's out of home, cinema, TV, influencers, as part of the pie. So I have a budget got to use it, yeah. influencers, what everyone's doing, let's do it. Yeah. So I think um, without having your clear objectives of why you're using influencers, that is uh, the most key to deciding whether it's a successful campaign or not. Mm-hmm. But for me, the most uh, important would be the return of investment, I think, uh, from a brand side point of view, because the issue today is with influencers, they're getting more and more expensive. I call it influencer inflation. The demand is on them. And whether, you know, I don't want to have any influencers come to me later telling me off, but at the end of the day, it is sort of like a media buy. You know, yeah, when an influencer yeah. is asking for a fee in exchange for uh, an honest review or a not so honest review, that fee is still resonating to some sort of exposure, similar to a billboard outside, similar to a TV ad. So just like any of those funnels of marketing ads, etc., influencers need to sort of show a return of investment when a brand is you know now investing some companies are investing 50% of their total marketing spend if not more wow. on influencer marketing mm. so you know certain brands and ones I've worked on in the past have invested over you know nearly 18 to 20 million plus so if this is a number that's being invested without a clear ROI because it's sort of a grey area yeah that is I think one of the most successful metrics to measure against now having said that it's quite impossible exactly Um, and this is what I've been doing I've been actually touring around the world in a few conferences Mm -hmm. Um, started from an LVMH conference where I spoke to all the CEOs of LVMH brands with my CEO Dior to then go to different conferences around the world kind of explaining it sort of like a plane journey. So I would say we, you know, think of it as turbulences. And if you know what the potential turbulences are with an influencer campaign, then that can be helping you to make sure you have a smooth ride, you know. And it's just being aware of it so you can go forward. So for me, it was an understanding that there are 
the problem is right now it's a great area whether we like it or not just yeah. because most of the, the work with influencers is done on Instagram mm -hmm. for example and most of those metrics are I would say vanity metrics and hard to really distinguish you know yeah. a like an impression views these are all things that we can't substantially measure today tangible nothing tangible it's yeah. all online yeah and um, there are now other metrics you can do after that that's a bit further down the funnel like clicks to yeah. websites you know maybe even if you have a smaller business you could actually see the impact clearly because someone goes to the store and says oh i've seen this on instagram but a big business even like a deal you know, it's very hard to really understand where are the sales coming just from. Just capture that kind exactly. of capture that. So I think for me, it was like really assessing. Okay, what are those turbulences? For example, fake followers, fake likes, not knowing mm -hmm. these metrics, vanity metrics. Are we really putting too much effort on a like and impression, or should we do it on a clear call to action? Mm -hmm. All those stuff is what you need to do to really, for your own business, analyze, understand, and once that's done, then you can bring that back to your objectives and then understand if it was a successful campaign. And only you as a brand can put value to those metrics and then cross-correlate it with your investment mm -hmm. to understand if it was a clear ROI. I would say with influencers, it is a bit unfair to just base it purely on sales yeah. because uh, it's, it's a bit harder today to say, oh, I invested 5,000 euros in an influencer. The direct sales were not more than 5,000. It was a bad return of investment because yeah. mm -hmm. so much can be lost in the funnel someone can go to store someone could just get brand awareness they're all still valuable you know uh, results exactly. yeah. it's not just that sale brand equity it's how is it influencing that so i think you know you have to as a brand put your own metrics to certain components and uh, i think then only then can you really understand the return on investment for yourself do you find people are kind of resistant maybe in more traditional brand circumstances to coming up with those metrics themselves. Is there a, are they worried about doing that? Is there an understanding of how to do it? Yeah, I, th I think a bit of both. I think a lot of brands wouldn't know, would be just, you know, a shot in mm -hmm. the dark. So that's why, you know, I can say I'm quite confident in knowing these metrics because I've done over 30 campaigns and, you know, I've worked with over, over 5,000 influencers in my time in the last two, three years. So mm -hmm. I know, know the average metric, the average sales, the average clicks. So I would be quite confident in placing. A lot of new brands wouldn't. But I think understanding a return of investment is what you feel also comfortable with, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think once you're happy with certain metrics you put in, then no matter what, it's only you to decide if that budget was well spent or not yeah. at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It's like going to an event, you spend 50, it's like a wedding even, you know, you spend a million on a mm -hmm. wedding. Uh, uh, the, the, Do the, you? The, <laughs> or, or, or less. Sorry, I'm more going for Indian weddings. You kind of have to spend a million plus, otherwise, is it really an Indian wedding? Um, no, but more so, um, like, you know, if you're, if you're spending X amount, you have decided after, like, as a groom, as a bride, that yes, um, that was worth the return. I had a good time. I had a good time. Yeah, so, absolutely. <laughs> so how do you think brands can start to segment influence? We hear a lot about nano, micro, micro. macro, mega, and all of that absolutely. kind of thing. What does that mean? So for me, I mean, this is something I've actually just started to shift and educate my clients today on a new form of working with a, this sort of circle of influence. Yeah. And normally we'd, we would work on a pyramid structure, being the top of the pyramid is your um, the highest reach and the most sort of inspirational and awareness drivers. Mm -hmm. so your top influencers, your brand faces, your muses. 
Have you got examples of? So、those? I'll give you an example, like Dior, for example. So the top of the pyramid would be traditionally like the Bella Hadid, the Cara Delevingne. Our、yeah. faces on billboards.、Mm-hmm. A lot more on the more of the influence side, less of the people who don't have social media, like、mm-hmm. maybe Johnny Depp, etc. But、sure. really the top. And as you go down, you then start hitting like the next tier would be something like your top local muses, so people who are very pertinent to your market,、mm-hmm. and that could be an influencer like in the UK,、uh, Victoria McGrath in the Fro, or etc.、Yeah. Someone very strong in their market in that current high-end influencer segment,、yeah. and then you go into micro. And as you know, I think around two years ago was that real shift towards micro as a new hot thing.、Yeah. I would go into segmenting micro into. Mid tail and long tail.、Right. Mid tail being the higher end of the micro, long tail being the lower end of the micro. Now, micro is such a varied term; it varies per market. In、yeah. a com- in a country like USA, where there's、yeah. hundreds of influencers that could be above three hundred thousand followers, is micro. But in maybe a smaller country like、uh, Netherlands, three hundred thousand would be a very top influencer.、Yeah. Maybe twenty thousand to fifty thousand is a good micro. Yeah. And then the bottom of the pyramid, which is sort of the new thing. Would be your super fans, your brand community. These are the people, like sort of like your CRM, your loyal, your customers,、yeah. but more of the social media CRM people、yeah. that we don't really always address. And this is the traditional pyramid approach. And you can understand that the higher you go in the pyramid, the top end, the more、uh, you know awareness you get.、Mm-hmm. The more further down you go, the more credible and the more conversions you、uh, get, because those are really talking to their friends and family.、Yeah. Let's face it. Today, if a big influencer tells me to buy a Dove shampoo, I'm gonna probably be like,、oh, I know she's getting paid a lot. Not、yeah. <laughs> but if my friend says it, I'm actually gonna think twice and be, you know what? Like, I'm interested. Now, one thing I want to kind of Kind of now pause on that and sort of let's flip it. Is like I think today that's also wrong. I think this pyramid approach often has a connotation of the top is the priority, the bottom isn't. So I've sort of educated my clients today to think of it in a different way. Let's think of it as not only a circle but a kind of a trifecta. So think、yeah. of like a the best way to do it would be like three circles, like the typical kind of Venn pie, diagram. Venn diagram. <laughs>、uh, now you have to decide what the overlap would be, but I would say one circle would be your top. Yeah. The middle, other circle will be your micro, and the third would be the communities.、Mm-hmm. I think now working with all three would be the most optimal solution.、Yeah. But that way, when you look at it from a circular point of view, you don't put more emphasis on the other.、Yeah. It's sort of, but all three are just as important as the other. Now, the quantity of working with, you know, you probably need to work with a thousand community members to be more effective than two top influencers.、Yeah. But I think this way is more of a nicer way to look at it than pyramid. I love it. I mean, presumably the strategy is different as well. In that, if you're working with your community, you're not. You know, we're not gifting things. We're not kind of. You know, we're not paying, paying. them money. Paying but we're interacting. You interact, and you actually might gift them. So I think normally、mm-hmm. the way you would work is is that kind of. I call a community is like your luxury sampling. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you don't sample them. I mean, you give them the full size, but you really ask for them for their feedback. You involve them. Yeah. And communities is like a new strategy that I'm trying to influence in all my brands.、Yeah. From I'm. Working with small restaurants to dog bed companies to Dior right now,、mm-hmm. and I'm literally pushing communities with them. More like educating them because the first thing they come to me is, "We want to do influencers. Can you get me this influencer?" You want the top ten. And、yeah. I literally explain to them that I've I've done pretty much every influencer in my corporate world swipe ups. 
most of the big ones, and yeah. I'm not going to say any names, but I know all their swipe up metrics. Yeah. I'll leave it at this, but in, I haven't seen an influencer give more than a couple of thousand clicks, any, any influencer, you know? Wow. So yeah. for me... So it's better to have a thousand influencers. Like, yeah, the average, you know, isn't it? the average of most influencers is not more than 500, yeah. less than that. So, you know, you're paying, sometimes they ask for fees quite a lot. So not to say that's a big metric, but, you know, for some brands... Swipe ups is important now. I want to get sales on my dot com. So I think what I've actually seen, I've started to do, we started to do a big segment of community members and some of the brands I worked at. And we've seen more clicks to our dot com than any other influencer segment today. Wow. It's amazing, Um, isn't it? It goes back to that what is your objective? What is your objective? Because, you know, if you do have a top tier influencer, yes, you may not get as many clicks through, but again, then what are the other metrics that is influencing? Exactly. So, I'm interested in this kind of engaging your community element. Obviously, you've mentioned kind of luxury sampling. What other strategies kind of could you you look at introducing? So, and this is something going into these strategies. I think there are some agencies that are arising today that are doing this. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you're struggling with in-house capabilities, yes, that's always good to do. But it should always be in-house. You should always do all these strategies in-house because you'll have maximum effect. You're really talking directly to these communities, members, mm-hmm. and you can be agile. So what you could do it will evolve as you know your business evolves, but you could do, for example, WhatsApp groups, talking to them, getting to know them, mm-hmm. meet and greets, meet the staff, come to the office, mm-hmm. testing products before they go live, leaving pro- product reviews on your retailer channels. Mm-hmm. You could go even further and do local events just with them, you know, local dinners, let's set it up, you know. Actually at Dior, we did something in France which was really great, which was we had more than, we had, we had like, it was a range between micro top, but we had around one top influencer, one micro influencer, three Dior staff, two Sephora staff, all at a dinner table. Mm. And we did this once a month. And it was so great because the influencer got to meet the Sephora team, our, you know, our big retailer partner. Mm-hmm. We got to meet our, you know, the e-commerce maybe manager. And it was quite a fresh way of working with your influencers. Could we go a step further and do this with community, real people, you know, two people just with 3,000 followers who just love the brand? Because mm-hmm. yeah. maybe mm-hmm. they'll give you more insightful feedback that can help. And that's why I would say yeah. it kind of goes. We we we, we spoke um, uh, a bit about kind of communities and like being on the shop floor mm-hmm. and how it is an invaluable kind of experience for people actually speaking to their customers. And it almost seems like an an extension of the old shop visit or store visit yeah. that, that used to be like the mainstay of a, a lot of people's businesses. In I mean, you look at the big beauty brands that are winning today would be the Anastasia, Charlotte Tilbury, Fenty Beauty. Mm-hmm. You know, Rihanna when she goes to just an influencer event, for example. Yeah. She will say all the influencers' names by heart. Okay, this one is for Hindash, this one is for X. She doesn't just, you know, she really wants to give and be part of it. She even, like, sings with them and does a little karaoke segment. Like, yeah. this is Rihanna we're talking yeah. about. If she's on the floor giving the time to the, okay, yes, in this case, is influencers, but she goes to the pop-up events, she meets the community members. Yeah. If a brand owner, and I'm doing this with my hair care brand, we're going to do, a, like, a new S, we're going to launch in over 100 Sephora doors. We're going to go to most of the doors and meet not just the community, but also the store owners, the managers, you know, you have to be involved in your business because today more than ever, that high touch approach is so important. And I think communities, if you can't do it, communities can be the best way to get that high touch approach rather than necessarily going just via a top influencer as you know, most marketers would say it's easier, it's better. It looks good in a PowerPoint presentation to the CEO. Let's do that. 
no, I think we need to go further. Do you think this is like a natural response to the fact that, you know, there's maybe a traditional view that online and e-com is something that is removed and is not necessarily personal enough? Is this just a natural kind of transition or is this something that's sparked? We've talked a lot about like millennials and Gen Z really kind of wanting this more personal kind of approach. I think think they want it. And I think Mm. there are some, you know, there are some e-commerce websites that really do give that personal, that Unfortunately, most businesses are not built for that. You know, like you know, it could be a, the product could be a personal product. Like you, by the end of the the, the, universe, the user journey on the e-commerce site, you have your own personal formula. Yeah. That obviously is an e-commerce experience that's very personal. Yeah. So I think because consumers are wanting that personal approach, even me personally speaking, I do expect certain things from especially certain brands Mm -hmm. and that communication is very key Mm -hmm. so i think there's that natural shift to the the new gen gen z the new the new generation needing and wanting it Mm -hmm. otherwise they're just not going to buy yeah and wanting to feel listened to exactly and then you're taking that those insights and influencing your product or And and you can see this from even most i mean i'm saying this from one angle like i really do believe influencers are can be really successful when done right but most people i mean even anyone listening to this or even us in the room it's clear like, you know, I'm not really, I've never really been influenced by an influencer. Like, I get maybe product awareness. Okay, cool, I didn't know that product exists. Mm-hmm. But when I see ad, I'm not really going to be like, oh my God, like that. Unless, have to do that. Unless that influencer made their own product, then I'll support it. I think that's really exciting. Yeah. Uh, like, Jeffree Star made his own cosmetics line. Like, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. We see that journey. But if it's like, hi, I love this Garnier product, you just know you they're going to get paid 10,000 plus for this product. They probably never used it before. Yeah. It was like Khloe Kardashian the other day and she was using Febreze yeah. on her bed sheets. And like, I am a fan of the Kardashians. I hate to admit it. But I just can't imagine that she'd be using a kind of mass market low end. She's never seen Febreze in her life, has yeah, she? I, probably. Yeah, you know, you know, and you're just like, I, I just don't buy it yeah and, and I think, I think that's consumer. I think like the reality is is some people might completely disagree and I think that's you know it's here to stay we know yeah. influencers are here and I think they're working great I just think the majority of people and us included like consumers we're starting to feel that tire it's not getting mm. fresh it's a bit you know it's a bit stale, like stale and I think that high touch approach and I think influencers can do it they just need to start maybe rejecting certain collaborations yeah. and maybe even like I personally haven't accepted on my Instagram a paid collaboration in two and a half years I just haven't done it so I would never do an ad yeah. I don't feel because I have an audience I'm entitled to a payment my audience came from me they they're not I'm not on JC Dissel billboard I never wanted to be <laughs> yeah. so I don't feel it's fair if I did I'd rather give it to my audience they yeah. deserve it you know they're the ones interacting so I think because Instagram is not built for that I personally feel anything I want to share should be authentic and my audience I'm grateful for mm. and that's it it stops there so I feel like, you know, even with a certain number of followers, you can still have that high-touch approach by just being really authentic all yeah, the time. absolutely. So there seems to be a blurred line between the difference of a celebrity collaboration and that of an influencer. Yeah. So I know PLT, they recently announced that they're doing their influencer rewards. And what we thought was quite interesting is there was a mix of kind of what we would consider like a, a true influencer and that of celebrities. So kind of what is the difference and do they serve different purposes? I think I think like the, the, the wording is quite confusing. I think... Yeah. My personal opinion is influencer is 
the wrong word. I just feel like we're just used to it, so it's just easy for now. But an influencer is, of course, like a celebrity because、mm-hmm. they have a now similar reach. I'm sure you notice when I go in the street and I see an influencer that I say like a top influencer I like. If we saw Monique, we'd be know, like, "Fangirl,、like, can I get a photo?" <laughs> more so than maybe an actor on TV. That are, you know, what's the difference between an actor? I just think maybe the more terminology, like more deeper like labeling, would be better.、Mm-hmm. Like I personally would be prefer to be called like a businessman who has influence. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an actor who has influence.、Mm-hmm. I am a designer who has influence. You know, I think everyone influences, but a fireman today has an influence on someone,、mm-hmm. right? So everyone in the world is an influencer,、mm-hmm. and I think that's where it gets a bit difficult because the definitions are quite blurred. But today, yeah, in a general sense, to really simplify it, influencers are the new celebrities to the new generation. Amazing. So, who are those power players? In that market right now, and kind of who should, if brands and retailers are listening, you know, listening to this, who should they really have on their radar, and also who's emerging? Emerging. So I, I believe most of the top influencers in fashion, lifestyle, beauty, they're well known today. We all know them in different markets.、Yeah. I can name endlessly a list.、Uh, I have a list, and and they all are great. I think that the influencers people should be looking for today, if、mm-hmm. I was going to give a segment, would be the rising like Netflix stars.、Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my one of my really good friends,、uh, Adeline, she's just on the Sabrina, the the teenage witch, the chilling adventures of Sabrina TV show on Netflix. Yeah, she's like you know her like she only has now three hundred fifty thousand followers, but she's like growing every only day. Only Netflix. Only. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, she, she, she should have millions. Honestly,、yeah. she's, she's amazing. I love her, <laughs> but her engagement can get up to hundred thousand likes, and that's more than people of sometimes five million followers.、Yeah. But she only has three fifty k. So an average, an average eye would be like, oh, three fifty k. It's not a top influencer, but her engagement is so re- relevant today.、Yeah. Everyone knows her. She gets tagged in photos like every couple of minutes. She's the hot new thing. So a brand looking at her would probably, if they can scoop her up and do like a partnership and ambassadorship,、yeah. would be far more effective than going down the same typical route of. Number of followers. So number of followers is, is not necessarily no, it's, it's, it's the number of engagement. I mean, look at my followers. I have three hundred thousand, but my engagement is really bad. Like I've not <laughs> like. And so I, well, I, you've got some guaranteed likes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hopefully. But like I've done like metrics looking at my own following, and、uh, I've got these tools that can see it. And I've got around fifty percent inactive or fake following, whether I wanted it or not. I've started my account eight years ago,、yeah. so I know like I really only have. Hundred and sixty, hundred seventy thousand, like like proper, authentic, real following, Engaged, and、yeah. like my number of story views are around like twenty、yeah. thousand. But I know some of my influencer friends of five million have like forty, fifty thousand story views, but some with like seven hundred thousand have like three hundred thousand story views. So、yeah. its followers can't lead to that. You know, there's no today more than ever. It's when you started your account should also be important, right? Because、yeah. if you grew in the last month and you got a million followers, those million followers are fresh,、yeah. as opposed to million followers from seven、You've、years ago. You've built up from seven years.、Definitely. So I think followers is out. Number of followers, forget it, and just really go by the person. Do they fit your brand? And their engagement or their authentic engagement today、yeah. is an important metric. Absolutely, I think it's really good for brands to be aware of.、Yeah. In your opinion, you talked about almost the, the top tier of the pyramid that we spoke about before, and there being global influences. Is there such a person that has a reach globally, or do people and brands and retailers need to be much more focused on the local markets? I think there are individuals that have a global reach, especially like big celebrities from the past, actors, new big celebrity influencers, as we said. That hybrid role, like Kiara、mm-hmm. Ferrani, etc. But I think brands should go more local. I think that's the way forward. It just depends on the business. Like a brand that has 
exposure in most markets has no excuse not to do local, 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 mm. targeted, targeted, because that's where you get the more high-end touch. So at the end of the day, I think aiming for the high-end touch logically gives you the result of you need a more local, high-end influencer. And today, there is a, a bun- there's so much choice of influencers out there that there's no excuse not to. Yeah. And also the, the really celebrity, big worldwide ones would be quite expensive. Yeah. So if I would say the only time it would really make logical sense would be if you're a brand that has to have a global ad that has to run in all countries. Yeah. The thing I think wrong with this, and it's coming from experience with previous brands I worked with, is it's lazy. It's easy just to get that one ad and put it in all countries. Yeah. Yeah. Same visual, same rights, everything. What happens is, and this is not me being, you know, I'm being very cautious on the words I'm saying, but most brands today, unfortunately, would think about the market and what faces, skin times, coming with someone who's dark. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, if, you do, if you're selling makeup and you're in, let's say, China, yeah. that's going to be a little bit difficult to sell, whether I believe it or not. That's yeah. traditional market speaking, mm-hmm. that that is where they would rather a more fair skin toned person. And it's annoyed me because, unfortunately, I don't agree with this, but mm. this is just typical marketing 101. Mm. So certain brands have never had, for example, beauty brands, dark skin tone faces, yeah. global ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So I would say, well, to combat this, just go more local. Yeah, in China, get an ambassador who's relevant to China. Yeah. In India, get an Indian celebrity. Yeah. And just work a bit harder, have a bit more leanway on your timings, yeah. and just do local ads. So when someone sees a billboard, you know, it's... There is that localised celebrity. And does it help people relate a little bit more? I think so. I mean, I think it depends on the product. Like, I think if it's like a car company, then yeah, a global ambassador, it doesn't matter. If it's a beauty brand, I think you need to feel like you can relate to that skin tone, that skin type. But I I do think it helps to become more relatable, absolutely. Or you can do a bit of hybrid, you know, have your your main face and then have a localised face in one ad, you know. Nothing stopping you. Like you, you said, the, the three circles. The three circles. The... Oh, the best, exactly. If you can get your top, your micro, <laughs> yeah, in one ad. Perfect. <laughs> and even as a story, like how cool would it be if like, a fan was actually in the same ad as like a Beyonce? Like yeah, How cool would that, that be, would right? Be and that's actually being inclusive. Inclusivity today is the key for any brand to survive. If you're not inclusive or diverse... I mean, it's not even like it's like launching a foundation shade. If you know, if you don't have, if you don't have more than like twenty shades, twenty-four, sometimes sixty shades, some people have, then forget mm-hmm. it. Don't even launch yeah. foundation. Yeah, yeah. There are certain, unfortunately, but I think fortunately as well for brands, there are certain restrictions that have to be done today. So I think it was really interesting as well because when Ashley McDonald came and visited us and was on the podcast, she mentioned about how influencers are also native to specific platforms and mm. social media in China and talking about WeChat and Red, etc. How relevant is that in, in the Western market? Absolutely. I think it's relevant on similar ways. So I think Instagram, YouTube is sort of like the hybrid. Mm-hmm. I think Facebook, we can all say it doesn't really work for influencers today. That's more of your community, your friends and family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But influencers on YouTube and Instagram usually have a quite a strong layover like of followers overlap but I would say with TikTok today it's sort of like uh, you know in China where you have Duyin and you have uh, it's quite a different audience Mm -hmm. I would say I don't 
person I'm on TikTok. I I I I've dabbled, <laughs> but maybe it's I'm not Locked saying I love that one. If someone sends me a link, I watch it. But uh, I'm not. I have no time to add another social yeah. media platform <laughs> into my my remit. Learned choreographed yeah. dance. But, but I do think it's quite specific. So like TikTok is built for that really quick three, four, five second videos. Yeah. So I do think that you do have to kind of separate maybe your tactics, and uh, some brands shouldn't necessarily go in all platforms if it doesn't make sense. Mm. Yeah. So you'd also mentioned how going forward in terms of authenticity and kind of paid yeah. uh, influencer work that maybe influencers could start to be a little bit more selective yeah. with what, who they're working with. But how important is an influencer's own brand and, and how does that impact the brands that they choose to work with? I think it's more than ever. I think now speaking more on the influencer side as also maybe someone who is like a mini influencer, I do think like, you know, you would want to be sustainable and you need to know your own brand identity and pillars. And I think that's the most important. Mm-hmm. I think the influencers that are doing it wrong, accepting any brand collaboration left, right and center, don't have necessarily pillars in place mm-hmm. and their own identity. And I think that's when they think of them as more of a business. Like, you know, I need to make money. I have to live. I need mm-hmm. to earn. So I need to pay the bills. That's fine. There's nothing stopping you from having that and still having a traditional office type job or even have growing your own business. And I think today, as an influence saturation, that should be more than ever. Mm. But that can only come once you know what your pillars are as an individual. Uh, what do you stand for? And, um, and if it's quite vague, make it more specific. Yeah. Because I am someone who, I love history, I love geography, I love art, I love music. I was even a singer once and I went quite far down that, 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 that journey. Mm. And I actually made a decision because I like to do many things, but I think sometimes it's clearer for even my future to just be quite specific on what I really want to focus on. And I decided to go down the beauty brand building route and digital marketing. So anything I do on my own Instagram would be about you know, helping people with their CVs, brand building, empowering people to you know, work being an entrepreneur, work for themselves, and maybe talk about beauty brands. But I wouldn't necessarily go into like talking about my, my favorite sports or, you know, yeah. I, I know my, my, my pillars. Yeah. So if Taco Bell or McDonald's messaged me tomorrow and even gave me £100,000 for a photo, as, as a vegan and someone who doesn't really believe in fast food, I would never accept it. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what that, that amount is, because there's always something around the corner. Yeah. But if you don't know your own... And that's like, it kind of goes back to that thing when, when we were children, everyone would say, what would you do for a million dollars? Would you do this, yeah, would you do yeah, that? Yeah. And we always say, yeah, yeah, we do this, no, we do that. <laughs> you know, this is actually, now, sometimes it's actually real life situations for influencers where they yeah. get offered a lot of money. Yeah. And it's I, easy to say yes sometimes. Yeah, I feel like you see it as well a lot with like people that have, you know, Love Island, they come yeah, out exactly. and they're probably like, I've got to make a lot of money very quickly. Yeah. What's my shelf life? I'll say yes to everything. Uh, you know, now it's actually, now because of this, the, because of this kind of timing of, it's kind of the influencer shelf life or the kind of the patience of now the, the people in the new generation watching it, mm-hmm. they don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. They don't have as long as they thought. So like I had a friend who told me, I don't watch Love Island, but they told me their friend was on Love Island and on the last season and left and then apparently he's like struggling to get any work he like that person thought they could get a lot of money because the people in the past have it's just no brands are now interested in giving them bigger so it's like really like falling I'm sure as well and correct me if I'm wrong but brands and retailers when they're coming to you and they're looking for influencers to work with that they're also interested in having certain values that are related to certain influencers and that stand for certain 
Absolutely. I, I, I think the issue is, is it's, it's a catch-22. I think a lot of the, it depends on who's working on it within the corporation, mm-hmm. if it's the marketing team, the social media team, the PR team, because honestly, sometimes it's just, I have a budget, go, here's, there's an agency. Sure. The agency usually traditionally would just do whatever is easiest, looks good, and get it done, you know? Mm-hmm. It's sometimes easier to go for the, the Love Island Made in Chelsea influencers because mm-hmm. they would accept a lot of, you know, collaborations at a very affordable rate than, for example, a more actual hardcore seller, strong advocate of that industry. Mm-hmm. So I think today a lot of brands are quite lazy and this is coming from what I've seen in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's because it's maybe not their own brand, they're just an internal employee, they just have to share a presentation, they have hundreds other things to do. So I'm not blaming them, you know? Yeah. And in the day, do we need to go that deep? I don't know. I personally would, because I think any, I always went to every corporation as if it was my own money, mm-hmm. as if every penny was me, and I wanted to make sure the brand gets the most effective results with the right influencer, etc. And thank God I did that, because for my own brand today, I've been trained the best way. Yeah. And I think, yeah, lazy marketing can cause quite damages in the future for a brand name and image if this hasn't been done correctly, finding the right influencer, the right pillars, and pushing that from the objectives. And that's where going back to my initial phase of really understanding your objectives is key. Not just briefing an agency saying, I want to have 20 influencers, here's 50k, go. Which often happens, (laughs) I think, a lot of the time. So maybe just to change slightly, we've obviously had the news that Coachella has been pushed back to October this year. It's a multi-billion dollar festival. How relevant are things like Coachella for fashion brands and influencers these days? I think, I mean, if we were having this discussion a year ago, I would be saying the very different thing. I think right now it's sort of wearing off the the importance of these events. I think, again, going back to the high-touch brand-curated events, their own events is better. Sometimes just to be in Coachella, send all these influencers, make them go business class tickets, get them dressed, hotel Mm. accommodation, sending two of your employees can cost the same as just hosting a local event. Fortune. You know, you know, you can spend up to, you know, even a million on these events. Yeah. So I think brands are seeing that and maybe having done a few events like Coachella, et cetera, in the past and really never feeling like this was a huge result. Mm-hmm. The ones that do find a good ROI, I would then question those and say, yeah, but could you still get the ROI in other ways? Because Mm. maybe it's just your brand is an easy way to sell. Could the influencers still wear the product in their own environment then be at Coachella? Mm -hmm. Like, How important is those venues or events for you? Mm -hmm. Especially, I think the trick would be to find the events that people can grab on early before they get into like a trend. Mm. The generation today, they're not really into like, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but like, you know, brands just kind of going on the piggy bank of trends yeah. and just saying, oh, yeah. it's easy. We should be there. We should be there. Everyone's at film festival. Let's be at film festival. It'd be so much more exciting if, as a consumer to see the influencer and the brand somewhere where you would never imagine. Yeah. And um, it also gives you more of a, oh, that, that was something unique and that stays with you. Because how many times have we seen that Ferris wheel with an yeah. influencer oh, with an ice cream in their hand exactly. and an amazing some, body? Yeah. It should just be a filter now. It should be a filter. Really it probably is. It probably is, yeah. No, because I, I vividly remember I used to live in Peckham and I it really stuck with me because I remember Mulberry as a brand recently in the last year or so, they did events in Peckham and they actually like put up... Mm posters and it was so interesting and it really like stuck with me and really resonated with me I was like that's really interesting that they're interested in coming to this you know 
part of London and doing events here yeah. and it felt different. Yeah, um, I think that that's quite nice is when brands can support local initiatives, local, like, you know, bringing something like, like say you bring Peckham on the map and then that's mm-hmm. like a lot more, I think, than supporting necessarily money rich and established established i think supporting well local that's why local local community community is where brands should be going because yeah. there's so much so many more benefits than we can even see you can ha- imagine helping local vendors you know they that local event hires a local vendor and then that food truck is selling out and that's their business for a couple yeah. of months or yeah. like that's the beautiful part of this whole circle yeah and i guess as well with sustainability being such a huge industry-wide topic it's going to become more difficult for brands to justify jetting people oh, up to absolutely. these places. That's a huge part of it too. Honestly, that, like that, that is something that I think is, unfortunately, as uh, we're all not perfect at that. We all, mm-hmm. you know, if we all get given a chance to be on a plane, first class to Vegas, we're going to go, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, but I do think that's absolutely correct. And also like sending how many employees need to, how many people really need to be there, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I've seen events where a more um, internal team like the press team etc then influencers so you're sort of like why do we need like two to one ratio like they don't need to and they don't even like to be with like an entourage and they just want to be on their own taking their own content they have their own aesthetic so even that in a sense like do you need to send everyone from your company like you know there are ways to be more conscious and yeah can we do it local can we do it virtual and today with with zoom skype everything i think people are getting a little bit more open to virtual live streaming, live streaming. Yeah. I can give you an example. My, my, uh, well, I've got my basically my godfather, like a very good fam- family friend, is um, Deepak Chopra, yeah. and my dad just had a 60th birthday. And due to the recent events with um, you know the virus, etc., unfortunately Deepak couldn't come to London for his birthday. And we planned a whole um, meditation masterclass, and there was around like 500 of my dad's friends Amazing. on the next day. So. Oh my dad was a bit stressed, like, what do we do? What do we do? And I just, I actually proposed because I was like, you know, should we just cancel Sunday? And we bought the venue, everything was booked yeah. just for this meditation masterclass. It was the day after my dad's birthday, but it was part of the birthday weekend celebration. Yeah. And what so I said fun. to my dad, I said, let's just, you know, we already have a screen, let's live stream it. Yeah. And it's incredible. We had like 500 people all listening to Deepak Chopra for an hour, meditating with him from New York. And everyone left inspired. They were like, it was, it was an incredible experience and it didn't even change the fact that he was not there or there. They yeah. still felt that energy. So, so you can still have those kind of community experiences. Live streaming. With the, with the technology that's available. Absolutely. Yeah, because I was really interested in whether brands and retailers, when you work with them, whether they are mentioning sustainability in tandem with influencer strategy, because mm. we hear it when we work with our customers in terms of the product that they're creating, the supply chain, but we've not yet heard about it in terms of kind of how it impacts their mm. marketing initiatives etc yeah well one thing is, is i think influencers are really helping this movement they are mm-hmm. encouraging brands don't send me this whole big package with 67 yeah. shades and don't send me this cardboard box i'm going to throw just put it in like no plastic mm-hmm. and that's really good and i think it's coming from their experience of receiving left and right side like loads of brands every day sending products yeah. But I do feel like today a lot of brands are not putting enough emphasis and not to go against what I'm saying, but also there's other ways they need to first focus on within a brand to be more sustainable. That's beyond their PR influencer initiatives. For example, I know in some brands I've worked with, I'm purposely not mentioning names, but certain (laughs) brands, the biggest driver of their their CO2 emissions and their unsustainability in a way 
would be in there having just stores. Yeah. It's the lighting in the stores, the the the, shop, the, the fittings. Yeah. That is what's driving the most, more than transportation of mm-hmm. goods, more than the production of the goods, more than the packaging, it's the stores. So in a way, they can first focus on that with their resources and time. Mm-hmm. I think we're still okay with sending a, two, three influencers on a trip and yeah. Yeah, for now. So obviously we've all read in the news about the impact of Instagram and influencers' perfectly curated lives on platforms like Instagram and it's you know constantly chatted about. What responsibilities do influencers have on their followers' mental health? That's a very good one and that's something I've been also discussing quite a lot. Unfortunately, it is a risky one because even as someone of an influence, you don't want to be too involved mm. because there are certain viewers or audience that could be a bit too too much. And mm. I've had people DMing me saying, you know, you haven't replied, don't replied, I'm depressed, why haven't you replied to me? No. You know, like, and then, you know, once you say you just talk to them once, it could open up a very deeper and sometimes more dangerous, yeah. uh, you know, way of working. Got to keep yourself talking. safe as a person. Yeah, as a and, you know, sometimes or. trying to do good can do bad. So... Uh, you have to understand like there are when someone has a lot of following a million following it there's no rule there's there's the right and wrong always because everyone is so unique yeah. um, but what they can do to just make sure that people's mental health are, are, is is really on track is being as authentic and honest with everything they do so you know saying look okay I did photoshop my I, I know I shouldn't have but I really want to look good in this photo I photoshopped my little left thigh yeah. Yeah. I, I know don't hate me but honestly like I just uh, it's just the angle guys yeah. no, we all want to do it we want to you know I'm not, even me I, yeah. I would probably not post it or just uh, you know I would love to I don't actually photoshop but I wouldn't rather not post it but sometimes if you just want to post it say look guys I really don't like my left thigh <laughs> if you can get to That's the point the where you can just post it and be like I don't care yeah. amazing <laughs> but we're all, it's all hard but being honest and and I also think maybe even if they know more information, share it. So some things I would do even right now, and I think this is a little like what I've been speaking at, and I just went to some universities to speak to students about this, is people don't know the impact of social media. So it all starts from dopamine. Now, do you guys know what dopamine is? Yeah. Yeah. And I like what, some. You like that? <laughs> right, 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 where right do you usually get your dopamine from? <laughs> where, where would you normally get it? Like, Scrolling through Zara's website. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. But, like, you know, it's, it's kind of all sorts of things, isn't it? From, from just, you know, having a good day a to, good day to <laughs> seeing your family. So, or... dopamine can be really good. Yeah. But when it comes to certain things, like seeing a family, if you get dopamine, then you're going to see them more. That's great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But alcohol, you know, having yeah. dopamine and alcohol, you don't want to be a addicted going to a casino so problem with social media is it's actually you know it's proven even with certain uh, ways of the social media's way of giving and distributing likes you know we all do that we swipe we see one we swipe we see five oh i've got five likes it's like being on a in a roulette on a in a slot machine i won one p i won 10 p i won five it's (laughs) it's a bit addictive so we all have this movement of moving our fingers up and down Mm. and i think What's happening is, is people don't realize the effect of this. So it's increasing dopamine levels in our brain. And it's actually scientifically proven that there's changes in white matter due to this. And that's causing internet addiction disorder. So internet addiction disorder is a thing. And if I were telling you this fact, and this is actually more, this is true and probably increased more than I researched this a few months ago, there is around 10% of the world who has internet addiction disorder that's actually like proven. Mm-hmm. That's like the population of USA. So right now, uh-huh. we are we 100% sure we have internet yeah. addiction disorder. And sure. if it's causing changes in white matter in our brain, 
it's going it, to it really impact us later. It's that can, it's actually linked to Alzheimer's, etc. Yeah. And we don't know the repercussion. That you know, we don't know what's going to happen with no. this because we're in that age right now. So in twenty years' time, we'll Who know. Knows? But right now, there's no limitation. You know, a four-year-old can actually go on Instagram. If there's not, what's stopping a four-year-old creating an account and pretending the date of birth is mm. what? Like, we're not limiting it. So if we can, as influencers, encourage our audience to limit their social media usage, not take things too seriously, you know, take two steps back and really remember your real life mm. triumphs your virtual life, that's what we should be doing. And I think that can be the, the, the key to really helping people's mental health. And... And it's a discussion we need to do because actually I had this pie chart and it was like millennials all the way to the more mature audience. And um, the pie chart was showing like uh, the highest percentage shaded at the millennial level. Yeah. But I put no title and I asked the, uh, the universities I've spoken to, even in my TEDx, I said, what do you think this is? Call. Like, what do you, what would you label this uh, this graph? And everyone said, oh, it's the time spent on social media because millennials spend more, or mm-hmm. it's the time spent, um, you know, focusing on taking the perfect photo, or whoever uses Instagram most. Yeah. No, it was actually a proven result of people who are worried about their mental health the most due to social media, and this was the most most in millennials, nearly fifty percent. Wow. So this is a cry for help coming from them, yeah. but no one's communicating about it. We're all just yeah. internally thinking about it. It's interesting. I've seen maybe kind of recently this past, maybe this sort of new year and stuff, more and more influencers calling out that they're taking time off and taking time mm-hmm. away. Digital detox. Yeah. yeah. And that's for them, you see. But the problem is, is I think they are saying that you should do it too. Yeah. And they're doing it in, 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 in a way because they're not being on it. So it's also making them go less and less on Instagram because their favourite influencer is no longer posting. But I do ask, I think we need to go even deeper and understand like, why do we need to do that? So even like talking a bit more about why that was caused. I see a lot of influencers saying, I'm doing detox, back online, better than ever. Let's go, let's go. Yeah. But it would be great if some open up and say, okay, this is why. Honestly, yeah. I just feel bad. But really tell why. And some of them, it's actually like quite vanity stuff. But open up. Oh, yeah, I'm not getting enough likes on my Instagram. You know, yeah. I posted this, I got 6,000 likes and I have a million followers. It's embarrassing. <laughs> just say it. Yeah. You know, just say that. People want to, no one really cares. But just be honest, because I think that people can also tell when you're being honest or not. Definitely. And it can be also a curated mishonest, you know, dishonesty, yeah. which I think Definitely. also can have an even more adverse effect, trying to be good and you end up being even worse. <laughs> we can tell, right? Yeah. Anyone can Definitely. Tell. I mean, the, I guess the other side to that is we're seeing more and more, I guess, regulation and enforcement on yes. influencers. Mm. And what, what do you see as the impact of that on the influencer marketing industry? I think it's important. I think it's going to help the brands to have a better sort of, as you said, the ROI or having a better impact. What's the impact of that? You know, making sure they work with the right influencers. For influencers, is good. It might be a bit of like a cocooning moment where they have to be a bit uncomfortable to change, but they're mm-hmm. going to come out so much stronger and better after. So if the platforms can really help address this, that's the most crucial. We spoke a lot about the influencer's role, the brand role, but the platforms are just as important because sure. without the platforms putting any emphasis on this, I would love if Instagram tomorrow gets rid of followers. Like, that would be a dream. Yeah. And what do you make of getting rid of likes so far? Have you seen I, much I love that, but I, haven't, I still see likes. I'm annoyed. I want to get rid of my likes. I don't want yeah, to see yeah. any yeah. likes. I don't think I've so, anyone. No, that's still in the UK, I, they have, I think they need to just get rid of it everywhere, not just in some markets. Mm. And they're saying it, they're saying it, but just do it. That would be great, because at least then we can re 
adjust Instagram's kind of way of working, how we use it. Because I would post and just love to post when I want, don't care about likes, uh, you know, yeah. just... That ha- the impact on mental health as well, like, health. what will that do? Because unfortunately, we do think, you know, the minute we post a photo and it gets less likes than the other, we might think no one likes that, no one's proud of my achievement, mm. no one's proud of my, my body change. My left side. My yeah. left side. <laughs> but I think, going to the left side, I think I heard, I don't know when it's happening, but Instagram is starting to put this, um, like, a, it will have, like, a icon when something's been modified. Right. So it's going to look at it, and if it's seen, oh, wow. if it's been Photoshopped, they're going to put, like, this is a modified image and will re- it will be automatic upon your posting yeah. so if someone has modified an image it's going to be a problem and I think brands need to watch out because we all we're forced sometimes as brands to photoshop images make it a bit perfect it's a big image you know sure. so you can't airbrush too much anymore keep it natural because Instagram will say it and there's nothing more embarrassing than a brand posting their actual image of their campaign and it says modified image modified image engineer yeah so obviously we know removal of likes has been kind of mentioned by Instagram yeah obviously hasn't been a global rollout how can brands monitor that engagement between followers and well i guess likes if that metric isn't available what metrics would you consider so right now imagine so there are some tools that you know when influencer has connected their passwords they get the api granted that's Mm -hmm. the problem right now so it's all about the api instagram api has limited all of this information, so you can't see the number of saves, impressions, mm-hmm. reach, only the influencer can, unless they've right. authorized their account with like a, a software that has all those metrics coming in. So some nice. agencies have those softwares and some yeah. agencies will provide those to the, the, the brand that they can see all the metrics. Now, this is if that's your, your valuable KPI, those metrics, etc. I'll go from three angles. Now, if you're a brand and you're working with an agency, make sure your agency has those softwares and has the influencer authorizing it so you can really see those results because mm-hmm. those will be valuable to understanding yeah. the result. If you're a brand that just works directly, ask your inter- the influencer to send some screenshots, but make sure it's like a video recording because anyone can Photoshop a, a screenshot. <laughs> yes. and this is little silly things, but it can help a brand tomorrow if they're listening, honestly. Yeah. Don't ask for screenshots of video recordings or That's always. That's really good. Because influencers mm-hmm. also... Uh, Photoshop their story views, very important. And then the third is to really understand the metrics deeper. You can buy today, and I'm telling you this, you can buy poll votes, story views, saves, everything. Mm-hmm. You can buy it. So tomorrow, even an influencer can buy 50,000 views and 10,000 poll votes and screenshot that, and it looks all good. Yeah. Certain things will start, what you start looking out for. The one thing you cannot buy is link clicks that are you know ip tracked so for example individual ips now if you're looking at a click like a click and you're seeing ten thousand in one minute from thailand you know that someone has even done link click plate but links are very hard to really falsify and the second would be your sales so this is when i sort of have to unfortunately go into the best metric is always a conversion or one angle Mm -hmm. or lead generation so for example getting emails if you have a swipe up to leave your email be part of a newsletter can you find a way to get out of instagram and capture data that's authentic yeah because we can't always rely on what we see on instagram that would be i would say is when a brand can know if they've got better metrics but it is unfortunate that today they they can even buy their impressions everything can be bought so be Mm -hmm. really careful and look deeper for Mm -hmm. example when you buy impressions if you scroll down you can see where it comes from if it goes from profile or from home majority of it that is authentic you know that it came from their followers if it's like they got 100,000 impressions from home or from profile was like 
10,000 and then 90,000 from other, yeah. there's two scenarios. One is it went to explore page, but then usually it says from explore. From explore, yeah. So that not it, that's not mm-hmm. it. Or they came from a link from an article from a vogue.com or whatever, but the chances are it's bought. Yeah. So looking deeper in the metrics, and honestly today, if brands don't know this and doesn't, does, don't go further in knowing this data, when they're investing sometimes, you know, half a million yeah. plus, like this is basic really stuff that you need to know. Things. You shouldn't just look at a like and a comment. Yeah. So what is the future for influencer marketing in fashion and in retail generally? I think the future is going into that sort of trifecta, as I was saying, working as a synergetic part of both your top, your Mm -hmm. micro and your community. I think just because of today, no one's really working so strongly with the communities except the brands that are community driven, like Glossier, etc. Those brands would then, the ones that are not, would need to put more emphasis on community to readjust that balance. Mm -hmm. I would say the future is working with influencers that are sort of brand owners, brand builders, whether it's their own personal brand or even have a brand. We actually, in one of the brands I worked with, did a campaign that was only on brand owners and entrepreneurs. So like people like, someone like Jay Jen Atkin, who who owns The Way, you know, that's an influencer who, you know, she might not have 100,000 likes, she might only have 10,000 likes, but those are the kind of influencers that also can bring even deeper meaning. And logically, you're forced to work with someone like her because she will only want to work with maybe similar type of businesses, yeah. hair, she wouldn't work with a, uh, a car company about lorries and vans, mm-hmm. saying no. So you can also help yourself by choosing the right influencers because they'll help you if you don't know yet. Yeah. And I think you'll be winning because if you go to these brand owners, the rising stars like these Netflix people, upcoming localized people like ballet dancers who are just in the new West End play, mm-hmm. etc. These are the people who will be easy to get on board mm-hmm. because they won't be talked to by most brands. They'll be more affordable and they'll give you probably a better return. Mm-hmm. And those, that's the future alongside communities. <laughs> I was going to say just one, one final thing from mm-hmm. you and I feel like I know what the answer is going to be. Yeah. But if there's one thing our listeners can take away from the podcast from this episode, what would it be? It would be find your brand pillars, your brand communities, and always stay true to you know what your brand is. And when I say brand, I'm talking to both the individual listening, because you are your own brand, yeah. and an actual brand. Brilliant. Akash, thank you so much. That's thank absolutely you fascinating. It was fascinating. Oh, I'm so glad. Learned so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you.